Well, good morning, Gospel Community Church. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I am the senior pastor here, and what a joy it is to gather together and open up his word. And so let me invite you to open his word now to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, our family, we are, we are not the biggest animal fans. I know some of you, you're probably ready to walk out now because you love animals and you treat your dog like it's a person. But it's not a person, in case you didn't know. Like, dogs are not people. Uh, it's not that we're, like, completely against animals. It's just, like, we have five kids. It's enough work to take care of them. It's enough work when you have one child. We actually had a dog for, like, two days. What happened is we found a stray dog. I, was, I felt sorry for it. I was driving down this, like, no man's land street. There's no houses around. This little puppy was, was right in the middle of the road. And so I pulled over, called for it, jumped in our car. And we almost had a dog, but, like, we just wanted kids, and we didn't want a dog to get in the way. But we had this one particular daughter who just loves animals. You know, you know the kind that, you know, points out every dog they see, every pet they see around. Like, when you talk about hunting, they get very angry. <laughs> Uh, and so we finally caved in one day as, as her birthday came in earlier this year, and she asked for a fish. And so Nikki and I talked it over, like, fine, we can get a fish. Like, how much can a fish cost? And really, how much work is there? After all, fish can't poop or pee on the carpet. And so, okay, fine, we'll go after the fish. So we go to the pet store, and, you know, we're expecting to spend maybe 30 or $40. Like, it can't be that much for a fish, right? <laughs> And so we start picking things out. We find this cool little square uh, tank. We're like, oh, this is, we can make this work. And so we buy the tank. And then we're like, well, wait a minute here. we got to have some, some rocks in it, right? Like all these other tanks that the fish are in, they have these rocks. They need, the fish needs something to look at. So we buy some rocks. And then we're like, well, it needs some decorations too, right? So let's, let's look for some decorations. So we get this little house and this little tunnel and, and then we're, like, ready to go get a fish. And so we talked to the person about getting a fish. And, like, oh, well, also you, you, need a, you need, like, a filter and a pump to make sure we keep the water clean. I'm like, okay. And so we get the pump. And, and then we pick out the three fish, finally, that we talked to. The fish are, like, $3. And by this point, we're looking, we're counting all this up. 75 bucks for taking care of $3 fish. And so... After we get all that stuff and we pick the fish out, they're like, well, actually, you need to have the water running for three days or for a week until you can bring the fish home. So we're like, goodness gracious. So we hold off on the fish, buy everything else, get the water running for a while, get the pump going, and, and we bring the fish home. And I kid you not, after 75 bucks, the, all three fish died within three days. <laughs> I was... 75 bucks, and this is what we stand for. Come to find out, like you need to have some kind of cleaner to take out the, the chemicals that are, are in the water that is coming into your home. And so $15 more, we get that taken care of. We buy three more fish, and by God's grace, three months later, I'm happy to say two out of six fish are still alive. <laughs> Needless to say, we did not understand the cost that it would take to raise fish. There was a cost to it that we did not account for. And as we think about following Christ, what we often don't realize is there's a cost to following Christ. Now the cost is just coming our salvation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But nevertheless, as we look at Acts chapter 4, there is a cost 
to following Jesus. And so let's dig, dig in now. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Lord, it is true that there is only one who is worthy. One who paid the ultimate price so that we might be made right with you, Lord. And even as we sang of Jesus this morning, I'm just aware of our unworthiness. Lord, our sinfulness that causes us to deserve to be punished forever, and yet you sent Jesus. Where the weak are made strong, Lord, and you hold us through the storms of life, God, you you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Father, you are ultimate. And even as we looked at Colossians at the beginning of the school year in September, that Christ is exalted over all things. And Lord, as we look at this, we're going to see that there's a cost to following you. And I pray that we would understand that, Lord. I pray that we would be worthy Lord, that we would be humble enough to follow after you no matter the cost because of your worthiness. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to me this morning, that you would open our eyes to the beauty of your word and help us to see what we need to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're talking about the cost of following Christ, the cost of following Christ. And as we saw a few weeks ago, uh, Peter had just healed a lame man in the temple. And that healing became an open door for the gospel to go forth to the Jews who were there because they had seen this man come over and over again. And, and he was lame from his birth. They, they knew it. They knew that there was no way this man could walk. And so for them to see him leaping and jumping in the temple, they knew God. They knew something crazy had happened. And this opened up a door for Peter and John to proclaim the gospel. And so... Peter called them out, didn't he? They called them out. They helped him to, first of all, they, they, 
acknowledge their ignorance, the fact that they did not understand who Jesus was when they crucified him, but yet they should have known. Because the prophets, the ones that they followed, often over and over again have talked about the suffering Jesus. And so it was clear in Scripture that Jesus was God based on the way he lived his life and based on what the prophets said. And so they were accountable and they were called to repent because of that, just as we are called to repent of our wickedness before God. But we also understand that in our repentance, there's great reward. As we saw last week, through our repentance, our sins are blotted out. God takes away our sin and does not count them against us. Not only that, but we experience times of refreshment. We, finish, we, we experience times where God meets us in our times of struggle and he helps us. But ultimately, he's going to refresh us by clearing us away from the trials of this world. That one day he's going to wipe away every tear and we'll be in heaven forever. We also read about the fact that Jesus came as a blessing to free us, to take us away from our wickedness. Often wickedness that we don't fully understand. We don't often understand the wickedness of our own hearts. And yet, in our repentance, Jesus cleans us of our wickedness. And last but not least, most importantly, when that last person that God has called to himself repents, he will return and he will take us home. But in chapter 4, the religious leaders show up. And they're not happy about what has taken place with Peter and John. And what we see is this. Indeed, there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus. Look again at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So it's, it's hard to tell, like, when these religious leaders come up, is this like during his sermon, during his call to them to repent, telling them of the prophets and what they had said about Jesus? Is that, what, is that the time frame here? Or is this like conversation that happened after the call to repent where they're asking questions? Maybe the people are even like responding in repentance. Nonetheless, during this interaction that Peter and John had with the people, these people come up. And notice what they're annoyed at. They're annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And the prime people that you see here mentioned are the Sadducees. In fact, they are the biggest enemies of the church here after the resurrection. Before, before Jesus died, the main the main enemies that Jesus had were the Pharisees, but now like the Sadducees are kind of taking over. And what you need to know about the Sadducees is that they were people who only held to the first five books of the Bible. So the Pentateuch, the books that Moses wrote. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe in life after Christ uh, or life after death. So they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. And so this was a threat to who the Sadducees were. Now at this time they were buddy-buddy with the Romans. So the Romans kind of called the shots for the most part. And the Sadducees were wealthy. They had property. And the biggest things that the Romans were concerned about is they didn't want the people to 
to riot and to cause disorder and anarchy uh, amongst the people living. And so Jesus was a threat to the anarchy. And certainly the church forming and, and seeing the spirit move through the people was, was creating quite the stir. And quite the stir among the Jewish people could cause the Jewish Sadducees to lose their wealth. And so they were angry and upset and they confront them for this and they arrest them. Now they didn't do trials and things in the evening and so they arrested them and waited till the morning. You know, for so many people coming to Jesus, they do it for an easier life. They're they're looking for a way out of their struggles, their circumstances. There's a false gospel that is going around about getting healthy and wealthy and prosperous. That if we come to Jesus, all my troubles will be taken away and it will be smooth sailing. And and often we come to Jesus thinking that's what we're going to get. But for those who came to Christ with this, with this understanding, they're disappointed every time. Jesus didn't promise those things. Jesus didn't come and live a happy life. Did the disciples following him have health, wealth, and prosperity? No, they did not. In fact, all the 12 disciples minus John were martyred for their faith. And John got it very easy. He just got tarred and feathered and sent to an island. That's what he had to endure. And so here's... As we think about this, here's a statement that I think is true. Here's what we need to understand. Going through life is easier with Christ, right? Going through life is easier with Christ, but it does not mean that we will live an easier life. Now, we all face trials, and it rains and pours on everyone. We're all going through the same trials, but often it's a matter of who we have going through with us. Life is easier with Christ, but life with Christ doesn't mean our life is easy. It doesn't mean that our circumstances are going to change. It doesn't mean that we're going to coast through life and have everything go just as we want it to. Consider what 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We must understand there is a cost to following Christ. Even here it says don't be surprised when hard things come your way as though it's something strange. Rather rejoice because you're sharing in Christ's suffering far different than what you might hear from a lot of churches. There's a cost to following Jesus. And one of the main reasons is because when we choose to follow after Christ, we are inviting an enemy in our life, aren't we? All of a sudden we have gained the enemy of Satan and his minions and his demons who are now after us for what we are wanting to do. And the God of this world is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And I think there are two particular people he's going for. First of all, new Christians, and second of all, strong Christians. Let me explain why I think this is true. You guys remember the four soils that Jesus uh, preached about in the Gospels? Remember the first soil, how important it is for that seed to take root? But what happens to the seed that's thrown on the path? 
the evil one comes and snatches it away. Do you realize even all throughout scripture you see the attack on new creation? You remember Herod when they found out that Jesus was born, what Herod had done? Had all the baby boys murdered? Do you remember what the Egyptians did to the Israelites? The births were, the, the people were multiplying and they were becoming a threat to the Egyptians. And what do the Egyptians want to do? What did they have, have all the Egyptian maidservants do? They had them kill the newborn Israelites. And you look at our world today and you see who is Satan going after. Abortion is running rampant in our country and all around the world. Satan hates new life and will go after it. Satan also hates strong Christians. Who's, who's a strong Christians? I think of pastors. I think of elders, small group leaders. Those who are sharing Christ regular. Those who put Christ first over everything. Whether you're a leader or not. But you are living your life genuinely for Jesus. You are in your workplace. Working hard. Wanting people to see the beauty of who Jesus is. Satan is after those two people. Why is this? Because Others, those who are weak in their faith and unbelievers are more likely to see Christ in those people. Isn't there great joy when you hear the testimony of somebody who came to, came to understand their sin and they're fresh in their repentance and trust and faith in Christ. Like the joy that comes when you hear that. Or the beauty of somebody who follows after Christ year after year after year, even through suffering. It's sort of like shopping, isn't it? Like you think of what the world is obsessed with with shopping. You guys know what came out recently with Apple? Got the new iPad Pro. Any iPad Pro fans out there? And so we are so excited. Whenever you get the iPhone, the new iPhone, and the, and the lines are out the door for getting that new iPhone. We love new stuff. How about you, Amazon? How many Amazon fans do we have? How many addicts? Yeah, I, I, I have a, like a love-hate relationship with Amazon. Because it's so easy just to, ah, oh, I think I need this. Well, tomorrow, the next two days, is Amazon Prime days, right? And so we love stuff that's on sale, right? We love the stuff that's cheap. We love, we love going after those things. But you know what we don't go after? We don't go after stuff that's regular price. We're not going to get thrilled about those things. And you know who Satan doesn't really care about? Doesn't care about the Christian who comes to church week in and week out, sits down, leaves, Maybe opens their Bible on Sundays. And outside of that, there's no relationship with Jesus. There's no pursuing him. There's no love for him. And it just begs the question to ask, do you understand that there is a cost? I remember as a kid, God saved me at a young age. And there were certain decisions I would make that I wouldn't do because I knew my sinful heart would get caught up in those things. And so certain entertainment choices, the popular movies, the popular music. I'm not, this is not a discussion on whether or not you can watch movies or listen to secular music. That's not the case. But I knew from my heart there are certain things I needed to stay away from because I would get sucked into those things. There's a sacrifice that happens because all of a sudden you find yourself on the outside when everybody else is talking about the in movie that you've chosen not to watch to because of the content that's in there. That's a small cost. But there's also a cost when we choose to share the gospel with a loved one, a family member, a coworker, and we face rejection. Or we have neighbors that as soon as they found out that we were Christians, 
that kind of ended the conversation. As soon as they found out I was a pastor, that especially ended the conversation. There's a cost to following Christ. And if there has been no cost in your life, I would beg to ask the question, are you living for Jesus? Have you understood there is a cost to following after him? You know, I would not say that we as a church have faced, big C church, like not just gospel community, in America have really faced a whole lot of persecution. Have we had some, some trials here and there? Sure. We haven't really faced persecution, but I think it's coming. Have you noticed the, the morality and the sexuality that is absolutely out of control? You know, the world speaks of tolerance that we're going to tolerate and we should, uh, we should tolerate. And what they mean by tolerate is mean you should approve. So you should approve that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. You know, a man can do women's sports and all these things that are crazy. Now, here's the thing. Here's where Christians fail. Christians fail to love those who are struggling with those things. But still, as Christians, we are called to speak for the truth. And if we choose to bow down to the sexual revolution that's going on, we are bowing down to the things of this world. There's a cost. There, even for saying that, there may come a day for me preaching that publicly that I may be arrested for that. But are we willing to accept the cost of what it is to follow Christ? But it isn't doom and gloom, is it? It's not a doom and gloom thing to follow after Jesus. Because we also see this here. With the cost comes great reward. With the cost comes great reward. Can you guys advance that slide, please? Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Amazing. So you remember earlier in the book, there are 3,000 that were saved, converted through the first sermon that Peter preached. And here through the second one, now it's up to 5,000. Now the word for men is, could be translated people. So we don't know if this is men or if this is men, women, and children. It could be upwards of 10,000 people plus have responded to the gospel because of Peter and John willing to put themselves out there, willing to count the cost because they knew that the reward for pursuing Jesus and proclaiming Jesus was far greater than any cost that they would face. And here they find themselves in front of the people who ultimately called for the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet, Peter and John do not back down. And the people who are listening, they're watching this whole thing take place. It's not like I feel like they've disappeared and they have no idea what just happened to Peter and John. They've seen the religious leaders come in and arrest Peter and John. And they understand that if they follow the message that they have just proclaimed, that they too could find themselves in prison. And many of them would find themselves in prison for following Jesus. But the reality is, if Peter and John would not have taken that opportunity to proclaim Christ, they wouldn't have seen all these people surrender to Jesus. The cost comes with great reward. And oh, the joy when we see people come to the light. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I love like wintergreen lifesavers, like my favorite, the best kind. 
and was chewing on one on a Sunday morning right before I was supposed to come up here and chipped a tooth. And in that, you know, what happens when you chip a tooth is like your tongue becomes a magnet to, you know, like your tooth becomes a magnet to your tongue. And so I'm like rubbing that tooth raw, like my tongue raw by rubbing it on that spot and I could not stop. It really wasn't that painful, but like vacation was coming. So for weeks, for a couple weeks, I just didn't do anything about it because I was afraid of like the cost. Like how much is this going to cost me? Like this is going to be too much for us to handle. But vacation's coming and I'm like. I cannot have this thing go bad while I'm on vacation and ruin everything for my family. And so reluctantly went to the dentist. Can't stand the dentist. I I look at the dentist as kind of like a necessary evil. If you're a dentist out there, no offense, praise God for you, but I don't like coming to see you. Uh, And so reluctantly I went, and they looked at it, and I'm like, what's going to happen? Am I going to have to get like a root canal? That was my biggest fear, and I've heard those are like the worst (laughs) ever. And... So thankfully, they were able to actually just kind of seal it up. And the cost ended up being far worth, the, the reward was far greater than the cost of getting my tooth healed and fixed. And now it's great. Like the, the cost was, was worth it. And the same is true for us. When we consider what we may lose in making Jesus the main priority of our life, it's far greater for what we get back than what it cost us. And so we may lose friends at, at our schools. We may lose friends at our work. We may have family members that choose. And I know some of you, because of your choice to follow Jesus, have lost your family. But it's far worth it. When people hear the gospel then, and they respond in repentance and faith, and turn their hearts to Jesus, it is worth it. When we share Christ, we will face rejection. We may even get canceled by this world. But remember, 1 Peter 4, we get to share in Christ's suffering. And listen, here's the attractive thing to the world. When they see us standing for truth, no matter what we may face, people, those whom God is calling, will be attracted to that. They will notice and they will see your joy in the midst of trials. They will see you being mistreated and yet you choose to remain joyful in the Lord, to remain steadfast in the midst of your trial. That's attractive and and therefore the cost of what it means to follow Jesus is worth it because ultimately God is glorified through it. And people come to know him. Have you taken the time to consider that the cost is worth it. As you think about, I don't know if I want to share the gospel with this, I might reject them. Think about if they do repent. Think about a life that has been transformed from darkness into light. The cost comes with great reward. Now you may find yourself saying, well that's great. I want to share Christ, but I don't know what to say. What am I supposed to say? Well, my friend, Acts 4 has great hope for us. Great news. Look again at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Here's what we see. When we are persecuted, God will give us the words to say. When we find ourselves in a place where maybe it's not persecution, but maybe it's just the, 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 the nervousness of sharing the gospel, if, or God opens a door and somebody asks you about Jesus, we can be sure of this, that God will give us the words to say. And so we, we see here, you may know the name Caiaphas who was actually the high priest at the time, Annas had served earlier, who I believe was the father, my brain is messing with me now, uh, was the father, but yet they kind of still remain. The, the high priest stayed in basically the same family, like the main family there. So these are all family members who are coming. But notice, remember what they were annoyed of first? Verse 2, they were annoyed because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. But are they asking about the resurrection of the dead here? They're asking about, by whose name did you heal this man? And we see very clearly that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares that it's by Jesus. This was not by me. This was by Christ. You know, it's, it's often sad in ministry. And I've seen this over and over again. The biggest roadblocks to the church moving forward is often not the drug dealers, the sexually immoral, the unruly unbelievers. It's often the religious people, isn't it? Those who have been raised in the church. Those who proclaim Christ and yet their lives show nothing of it. And they want to fight about the silliest things. And, and here they have completely missed the fact that this man was lame. I mean, who does that? Who doesn't just celebrate that this guy who couldn't walk his whole life is all of a sudden jumping and leaping and singing praises to God, but all they're concerned about, well, who name did you do this by? That's what happens with religious leaders, isn't it? Jesus' greatest enemies were often not those from outside the church, but those within, those who claimed to be pursuing God. But we must be prepared for it. Ultimately, persecution will come. It may not be in our lifetime, but there will be a price to pay to follow Jesus. He said, it's through many trials and tribulations that you will come to faith. That you will come to salvation. Maybe that is an open door to share the gospel in heart and in the facing possible rejection. Maybe it is standing for the truth and being in prison for it. But regardless, when those moments come, we can find great hope knowing that God will give us the words to say. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Jesus said that, and here's Peter 
living this out. And the Holy Spirit fills him. And he's ready to speak the truth of who Jesus is. If one day we face persecution, we need not be afraid. God will speak through his people. He will give us what we need to say. The Holy Spirit will help us in the most frightening situation. How much more will he help us to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends? It's far less scary than what Peter and John are facing here. What a great promise, but also a great challenge to us. Peter, facing those who had crucified Jesus, has no concern for his own life. He has one concern, and that is the glory of Jesus. And he boldly proclaims that healing did not come from him or John. They didn't have the power to do such things. There was someone behind it. Jesus is the one who healed this man. Right in the face of his accusers, he calls them out for killing Jesus. And then he says this in verse 11. Oh, may we be this bold. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And what exactly is a cornerstone? So if you're not familiar with that, it's the first stone that's placed in building a house. Like, is the, the most important thing. It sets the trajectory of the rest of the house. And so as the builder lays the stones to build the house, everything goes back to the cornerstone. Everything depends on the cornerstone being in the right place. And so if you got the cornerstone right and you're lining up everything based on where the cornerstone is, the whole house will be built strong. But here, the builders, these religious leaders have rejected the true cornerstone and they have built their foundation on something less. They've built it on sand. And here's what we need to understand, especially in today's world. Jesus isn't a way. Jesus is the way. Jesus isn't a way. He is the way. He is the cornerstone. Look at verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what we've got to understand is we start with Jesus. If we start with anything else, everything will be off. If we don't keep Jesus central in everything we do, we will lose our way. The builder continually checked back to make sure he was lined up with the cornerstone. There's no other way to do it. And with salvation, there is no other way except Jesus. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus and going to church. It's not you have your truth and I have mine. You know, it's been said of Christians, maybe you've heard this, that Christians are closed-minded. Can I just say that is absolutely true? If you want to call me closed-minded in the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then call me closed-minded. I'm fine with that. There is no other way to Jesus. And some people will come and say, well, you have Jesus, I have Allah. No, there's Jesus and there's everything else. There's Jesus which equals life and there's everything else which equals death. There's no other way. We can't build our foundation on anything 
else. And I want to finish with this. What is the cornerstone of your life? What is it that you reference all of your life back to? What's the center of your thoughts? Where do you go to to find joy? Where do you go to to find security? Where do you go to to find your everything? What consumes your mind? What takes your dollar? What do you spend your time doing? Is it your job? Pursuing your job as much as you can to make as much money as you can, to have as much stuff as you can. Finances, are you dependent on having a lot of stuff? Making enough money so that you can retire early and go collect seashells by the seashore. Not saying that retirement is bad, but if we're using it for our own pleasures, not for the glory of God, is Jesus really our cornerstone? Does Jesus say, hey, 65 years and then you can have your life and do whatever you want to? Jesus wants it all. And it's for our good. Is it popularity with people? Being liked, having lots of friends, being noticed on Facebook, those clicks of thumbs up. Is it in your relationships? Are you finding, seeking out hope in a girlfriend or a boyfriend or maybe even your own spouse? It is, in, is it in your achievements, advancing at work, getting the best grades in school, being the best athlete? Are you seeking comfort? Are you going after ease? Or do you center all of your life on Jesus? Do you live all of your life for his glory? Not just on Sundays. We don't just come and say, I'll give you Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is mine. Jesus says, I want it all. But remember, it's not to restrict us. It's actually to free us. That's what we don't understand. So many people reject Christ because they're like, I can't do anything. I feel so restrained. Well, it's because you don't understand why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to restrain us. He came to free us. He came to bless us by opening our eyes to our wickedness and taking it away so that we pursue him without these other things getting in the way. The problem is we build our cornerstone. We have our cornerstone in something else. And so when trials come and tribulations come our way, we crumble. Is Jesus your cornerstone? There is a cost in following Christ. But it's worth it when we give him everything and we see people repent and find everlasting joy in Christ. And we know that we're not left alone in this world. And when it comes time to share the gospel, when we may find ourselves in persecution, we can trust that in those moments, Jesus will give us the words to say, Jesus is everything. Let's pray. Father. I thank you for the bold witness of Peter and John here. Their willingness to stand for the truth no matter the cost. Lord, I, I, I repent. Lord, there are times where comfort and ease get in my way, Lord. Where I, I want things to be easy and if they're hard, I can bail. Or if I'm afraid of rejection by sharing Jesus with somebody that 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 keeps me from doing it, Lord. But I pray, I pray that your spirit would be strong in us. I pray that you would 
Help us to understand, Lord. I think, I think when we ultimately live in fear like that, it's because we've built our cornerstone on something else. We've built our lives on something else. And, Lord, it's a moment by moment where we need to choose to make Jesus our cornerstone. And so, Lord, would you draw our hearts back to him? Would you help us to understand there is a cost, Lord, that we would not be surprised at fiery trials when they come about us as though something strange were happening to us. Lord, you promised that we would endure those things, that they would come our way. It's through much suffering that we'd find eternal life because in the suffering, you drive us deep into you. God, make us a people that is willing to count the cost in order to proclaim Christ to a dying world trusting that you're going to go with us, that you're going to give us the words to say, Lord, let us not cower in fear, but let us understand that you've not given us a spirit of fear, of power and of sound mind, not in and of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit who dwells within every person who has truly repented and believed in Christ. God, grow our love in you. Sweep away any foundation that we have built other than you. Help us to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let us set our minds on things above, not on things below. We have died to those things, Lord. They don't give us life. You give us life. Lord, thank you that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, help us to make you our cornerstone and show us where we've gone astray. Thank you for the gift of repentance, for opening our eyes to those things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing in response.